0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on when and where you're listening slash watching this from. Welcome back to another episode, the episode 12 of the Two Foot Tackle Podcast. I'm your host, Aris Lamatakos. As always, we're here to dissect the week's footballing actions. And a bit of a heads up, there was not a lot of it. So obviously it was FA Cup weekend in the Prem. Um, granted, there was some other tidbits that happened in various different leagues and also there's an international break coming up so we'll preview a couple of things from that as well but before we get into it I'd like to implore you all to subscribe on YouTube I think that's I really want to get that growing so if you could all subscribe on YouTube give the podcast a like we've also got clips now on the on the YouTube channel so if you don't want to listen to me talk about football for an hour. You can listen to me talk about football for 15 minutes instead or 10 minutes or whatever it is. Um, So yeah, subscribe, like it on YouTube and obviously Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. The whole nine yards in the audio department, any support engagement would be very, very much appreciated. Now, like I said from the top, there was literally nothing that happened. Um, I say literally nothing, there was very little that happened in the footballing department this weekend which is not very good considering there's an international break next week so we're gonna have to figure out something for that but there was obviously the Everton Newcastle game which had a whole lot of a whole lot of things to talk about so at least that gave us something and the title race is now blown or is now has now been blown completely open and he's now Liverpool, or cities to lose, depending on where you see it. Um, I just want to give myself a bit of props for predicting Villarreal to go through, but we'll get on that a bit later. Is Jesse Marsh the saviour? That maybe. I'm not saying he's not. He could be. Probably isn't, but he might be. Um, we're also going to speak about the Sokaru squad preview of the game for Japan, and also I want to speak about the England squad, because there, are, there is a couple of things which get me annoyed about Gareth Southgate's selection in his team department, and obviously we got who went in two-footed, which I'm um, going to give you a peek behind the curtain, I actually haven't written down a, a, a candidate for who went in two-footed this week, so it's either going to be no one, or I'm going to come up with it during the podcast, so there you go, you'll see my brain ticking trying to think of that th- throughout, and um, of course we'll preview the week ahead, obviously, like we said, international break, but let's start. Let's start. Let us start with the bizarre scenes of the Everton Newcastle game. Now this happens midweek, um, and there is a whole lot to speak about. So, firstly, we'll speak about the footballing side of things first. Obviously, Everton won in the 99th minute. I think it was um, through thought Alex Awobi goal. It was a beautiful move between Calvert-Lewin and Alex Awobi, and. Awobi's a really weird player because he he's shown that he has quality. He has very good quality at times and he's played very well in big games. I know he scored scored a cracker in um in the 4-1 loss uh, against Chelsea in Baku. he has got a really good goal there and pretty much changed not changed the game when he came on, but he provided Arsenal's only creative spark when he came on. And even now he went to Everton granted they Everton bought him for like 30 million which was Bonkers, like really, just mental. Um, but he's he just struggles to find the consistency, and also, and he also struggles to find the position because a lot of people think that he's a player that plays out wide or he's like a winger inside forward. I personally think he's better off as a ten or as like a maybe like a very advanced number eight, where because he because he's not quick. He's quick, but he's not like lightning quick. He's not like. A, Riyad Mara's quick, or like a Lira Sane quick. Like, he's quick, but... So I feel like his close control and his intelligence, on occasion, suits, suits him better as a number 10, which is, which is again, bizarre, because he hasn't played there at all for, for any of his teams. At Arsenal, he was exclusively a left-winger, I'm pretty sure. Um, and at Everton, they, can't, they don't really play a well, they brought in Delhi Ali and Van der so I mean, uh, does a way we fit in there? I don't know, but you can see because that move came from a central area. He he found space in between the lines and he really capitalised on holes in Newcastle defence, which again shows his intelligence because he's he's not a dumb footballer. You you don't you're not a dumb footballer if you can, in high pressure scenarios, just play really methodically and pick your way through a defence. It's it was really good to see and. For a person that's, for a player even, that's been completely written off, it was good to see that they somehow, that he produced something in the big moment, in a big game as well, let's not forget. If Nick, if Everton lose that, they're almost favourites to go down, but they won, not really convincingly, but they won, and... You just need to rack up points at this stage. I think they'll be safe now. I really want them to be safe. Obviously, Frank Lampard. I I'm shrug- I'm slowly, slowly doubting him as a manager. Looks ever so slightly. It's it's the first time, the scale's been tipped. I've always thought that he's that he has the potential to be a very good manager. But this this season, especially when his time at Everton. There's just little things that are making me doubt that. Um, The Tottenham game was definitely one of them. But they got the result. And hopefully, if they can just stay up, then they can build off it, get some new signings in, and really ingrain a a philosophy for Everton. Because that's all they've been missing. That's all they've been missing. Just a philosophy for the longest time. So, hopefully, Lamps can do that. Because, personally, I would love to see Lampa, Gerrard like these legends, Patrick Vieira, these legends coaching the league, I think it's good, I think it brings that, it almost connects the older generation to the new generation, I don't know, it feels weird, but if like, if like a 13 year old kid is, obviously most 13 year old kids would know of Patrick Vieira, but never have watched him, then they can like be like, oh, this is who Vieira is as a manager. He must be similar as a coach or something like that. I just think it's good for the league if legends can continue their legacy on the touchline. But well, that's that's what happened in the game, and I'm assuming this this did happen in the game as well. But this was not anything football related. The reason why Alex Awobi had nine minutes of stoppage time to score his goal was because. And you've all seen this, but I'll just say it just for cause. Some bloke, some guy who looked not well. I think that's probably the best way to, to describe him. He, did, he looked not well. Ran onto the pitch and cable tied his neck to the post in, I think it was in protest for oil Maybe not for. I mean, who, not not many people are pro-oil. Maybe against, I think it was against oil. Something like that. I didn't really pay attention. But there's a couple of just really funny things that happened from this. Firstly, why did it take 56 people to cut a cable tie? Surely someone had a pair of scissors handy. The physio would have just had a pair of scissors handy. Or like a, or like a Stanley knife or something. They got full bolt cutters to cut a... A cable tie this thick and like this big Um, and obviously we've all seen that photo of that guy who looked unfortunate that was such an unfortunate screenshot if you don't know what I'm speaking about go on Jamie Carragher's Twitter I think it's still his profile picture I'll just quickly check but go on Jamie Carragher's Twitter and you'll see what photo I'm talking about because it is it is unfortunate okay he changed it but I'll see if he's, I'll see if he's, like, posted it. But, yeah, it was, this, this. So, if that's going to focus, please focus, focus, focus. It's not focusing, but oh, there we go. So, that guy. <laughs> what, what's on earth are you doing, mate? Um, yeah, so, that's very unfortunate. And, it was one of those things where, it took away from the game. Like, it wasn't necessarily a good game, by any means. But, one of those weird things, and Speaking on the on the guy itself, the guy who actually did the protest. Why, I don't get it. Like, I, like for me, for me, right? If I was to protest something, or if I if I had a means to protest, I would try and do it in a way which would make people agree with me. No, isn't isn't that the whole point of a protest to get people to like agree with you, because. What what does pissing fifty five thousand people at Goodison Parker do for your cause? Do you know what I mean? Like the so if I were to pro, if I were to protest, I will do it in a very good in, in a way which would make people look at it and think, oh, that guy's funny or cool or sexy, whatever, right? And then they'll they'll be like, oh, what's he protesting against? Oh, he's protesting against, um, whatever. I can't think of anything funny to say, but then they might be like, oh, we'll agree with him, maybe. That's what I would do, instead of running onto the pitch, getting a 10K fine, and just pissing off the entire stadium. Both sets of supporters as well. I don't necessarily see the use of that. And also the irony of using a single-use plastic in an environmental protest, I think that is beautiful. I think that is absolutely, I love that because he's tried to do something good but he's just hurt the environment in a very direct way so suck shit, mate go get the help you need because you clearly look like you need it we thought we all due respect of course but you don't okay like it's a bit harsh but he he didn't look well did he, <laughs> he did. I mean again that's yeah that's very harsh he didn't look well maybe he maybe it was an act. Maybe he just like did it to to piss the piss the stadium off, and he wasn't even protesting against any, protesting against anything. I'll tell you what has come of it though that it's got, we've got a brand new meme template which is good. I love seeing those all over the, the timeline and on Instagram and etc. We've got we've got that. So at least good, one good thing has come from it anyway. But and yeah, so another thing that happened from that game which wasn't footballer. It was Frank Lampard breaking his hand in the celebration of the equal, of the winner, sorry, and it's made me think two things, one, how do you, I don't get it, how do you break your hand in that, like, I'm just so confused, how do you break your hand in a celebration which, there's not a lot of like, it's not like he broke his hand in the dressing room where he could have like punch the wall. Did he like punch the ground or did he punch like the advertising boards? I don't know, but it was a nasty bruise. He showed it on an interview. I think it was with Sky. It was a nasty bruise, like really. It was clearly broken, and that made me think of other managers' celebrations that were a completely mental or b led to. Some form of injury, and I've gone with. I've gone with. I'd f- five have come to my head, and really it could be six. And funnily enough, three of the, f- three of the five that I've written down all invo- all invo- involve Jose Mourinho. I just find that great. So we will start with Jose against Porto. No, Jose for Porto against United. Where. I think it was obviously in the 2004 Champions League, I believe it was a a round of 16 game. So it wasn't even like a semi-final. Round of 16 game, Porto scored an equaliser in the 90th minute, but that... So they equalised on the the night, but it put them through over the two legs. And Mourinho, I think that's when the villain Mourinho character really gave... Luck was birthed. That was the moment where it was oh, right, he's a fuckwit, like, but he's a good fuckwit type thing. Um, yes, yeah, so that was probably the the birth of the Jose Mourinho character, if you were to call it that. Um, he ran down the touchline, waving his arms, frailing in, in the air and pissing off 70,000 in Old Trafford, which was great. Um, now, moving on to another incident that happened when Jose Mourinho was manager of... United this time, Antonio Conte for Antonio Conte for Chelsea against against Jose Mourinho's United. Now this was in the second season of Conte, and Ross Barkley had just scored a ninety sixth minute equaliser. And it, granted, this was not Antonio directly Antonio Conte's fault, so I understand that. But and Ross Barkley just scored a ninety sixth minute equaliser. And the whole coaching staff pretty much just ran down towards the the Matthew Harding end, so be, that's the right hand side from the camera view um, at Sanford Bridge. And in doing so, they ran past the United box, and obviously you have Mourinho sitting down, slumped in his chair. And for whatever reason, Mourinho just started to have a kick off, just started to have a scrap, and I think that's just when you get under Mourinho wants to get under your skin so bad. But when he when you piss him off, doesn't like it. He can give it, but I don't necessarily think he can take it. Um, and this is a the next one I've got written down is another example of that. Or it is an example of Jose Mourinho giving it is when he shushed the camera when he beat Spurs three nil at Old Trafford in the wet. I just I love that shit about him. I love that shit houseery about him. I hate him. I hate him because he's a Judas, right? But I love that shithousery about him. So if he didn't go to Spurs, he'd be one of my favourite managers ever. But he made that choice, so I mean, I can't respect him after that. And now moving on to... This is the first one which actually involves an injury of some sort. This was Klopp breaking his glasses when Lallana scored against Norwich. And I mentioned this last week, but Adam Lalana scored a winner in the 90th minute against Norwich for Liverpool they won 5-4 and obviously Klopp loves his hugs we know that and this was when Klopp wasn't Klopp as we know him now he still had the shit teeth and the glasses Uh, the haircut was a bit dodgy still had to wear a hat Um, and there was a group hug and in the mix of that Klopp broke his glasses which could have been really deadly not deadly but dangerous because obviously breaking your glasses your glasses kind of protect or not protect but like go in front of your eyes and your eyes are pretty important to live so i mean he especially to to manage a football team they're pretty important so um yeah that was that could have, that was all fun and games but that was very close to not being fun in games and um we're going to finish this off with probably a little bit one one that's a little bit obscure, but one that could have been this one could have kicked off, and I'm surprised it didn't. But Graham Souness. Now, we all know Graham Souness from punditry fame. Obviously, big fan of Paul Pogba, um, and really positive guy. He was once a football manager, not the game. Great cracking game, by the way. But a football coach, and he was coaching Galatasaray in the Turkish league, and they played away to Fenerbahce. And for those who don't know, Galatasaray and Fenerbahce have a probably one of the most fiercest rivalries in the world, right? And after Galatasaray won, Sunez runs in the middle of the Galatasaray of the Fenerbahce stadium and plants a Galatasaray flag on the center circle which caused an almighty kick off and I'm surprised there was no deaths from it but that did cause a retaliation via a Fenerbahce fan who in the reverse leg I think I might be wrong but this is from what I remember this is happen- this happened in the return leg or return leg in the in the reverse fixture a Fenerbahce fan hid in the Galatasaray stadium and then on kickoff, ran it like before the game started, as it was about to start, ran into the middle of the ground for a Fan Albershaw flag in um in the center circle and then started and just stood there with a knife. Insane. Insane those Scepter supporters. Fucking mental. Um yeah, imagine that happening in England. Yeah, no chance. Um yeah, so those were just the five that came to mind. Please let me know if you have any. If if you thought of any more, let them, let me know in the comments, in on YouTube. And yeah, I mean, obviously, another one that springs to mind is Jose for Inter Milan against Barca, going mental when they shit house their way through to another Champions League final. I think it was. So maybe this is just the Jose Mourinho special because he's a master of shit so I, I i don't blame him for this to be honest and so now moving on to actual football now <laughs> actual football so we spoke we spoke about football a bit with awaybi and now let's go back to actual football and it was the game that has blown the title race wide open and crystal palace have a knack of completely destroying title race Title hopes. They didn't destroy the city city's title hopes, but they certainly put a dint in them. And it was a a nil nil draw, which Palace really could have won. Um, and this has blown the title race wide open. And it's good for the league. Like you want to see title races op- like open. You want to see the game exciting towards the end because for so long I mean last year it was a non-contest except for top four season before that it was a non-contest this grant the Scranton season before that yeah it was good the season before that was rubbish and even the season before that so you had City winning two years in a row you had Liverpool challenging them but City still winning and is that what happened? no it was Chelsea sorry, it was Chelsea under contact you did it in a whitewash. You had um, City under, when Chelsea were under Conte in the second season. I remember the Premier League seasons by Chelsea managers, by the way. So you had City winning it there when United finished second. You had City winning it again. No, wait. Yeah, you had City winning it again by point when Chelsea had Sari, City City won it by point, and then Liverpool won it, then City won it. Yeah, okay. Yes, okay, and now we're here. My brain's fried, but it's good that we finally get to see a fucking competitive league, that's what I'm trying to say. And it was and it was a league which throughout maybe December, January I thought was here we fucking go again City gonna win the league by 56 points perhaps gonna be the best manager ever fucking fucking Real Madrid is gonna be a 56 time Premier League winner like all this shit right but whether it's through City's slight maybe petulance or complacency Liverpool have completely blown what seemed to be a open and shut league, wide open and they just kept winning. They're relentless. And I said this I said this not long ago. Liverpool are relentless. They will not give in. They they just they have no give. Like they just there's nothing there is no room to move when you are versus Liverpool. And you're both in a game and in the title race, you need to be on every single game because a fully fit Liverpool team is probably the best in the world. And You wouldn't want to verse him in Europe, that's for sure. And you... That game, I think it's in April, (laughs) the Premier League, that game will decide the Premier League because I don't think either side will drop points. And I do, and I'm aware, I said this not long ago, I said City won't drop points for the rest of the season and the very next game they drop points. I think it was against Southampton. But there's just something about this... These two sides at the moment, which Liverpool, uh, like I said, are relentless. They won't drop points, in my opinion. City now have that fire up their ass, which they needed. They needed that kick up the backside, that scare, that, oh, fuck, they're one point behind us. We need to go. And it will literally come down to if Liverpool beat City at the Etihad, they've won the league. If City draw or win, they've won the league. And I don't see it. I don't see it any other way, because both sides are just ridiculously good. It, the level is out of this world, and it could come down to a City Liverpool Champions League final as well. Hopefully, Chelsea spoil that. But that I mean, in that game. Granted, City have won. Granted, City have won more leagues, more trophies. But this Liverpool team is so good, and if. If, if Liverpool win the league, and if it's a Liverpool City Champions League final, I genuinely think that game comes down to eras, like an era-defining game. That is the, it's almost a game, fuck, I actually want to see it now. I, I've, uh, I've, I've hyped myself up. Obviously, I want to see Chelsea retain in the Champions League, but see, if Liverpool win the league, because that will be decided before the Champions League final, If Liverpool win the league, I still think it can be Liverpool, City in the FA Cup as well. Ignore the FA Cup for now. But if if Liverpool win the league and City, Liverpool in the Champions League final, that is like a grand final for the era. From like 2018 onwards till now, this five-season era, give or take, it's Klopp versus Pep, probably. Liverpool versus City. And because you have City who've won who would have won? What four league titles? When Liverpool like since Liverpool have been the Liverpool team that we all know. So what that would have been when they lost to Madrid that season. So like the first Salah season, right? City won two leagues, then Liverpool won a league, then City won two leagues, or oh, City won a league. So the, so so it's two, it's three one in terms of the leagues, and and Liverpool have one Champions League, and a Club World Cup. In my opinion, it matters. But if you don't think it matters, and whatever. But if you don't count the Club World Cup, you can't count the cat. You, if you can't, if you're not going to count the the Club World Cup, you're not counting the Carabao Cup because that is the definition of a Mickey Mouse trophy. Anyway. Yeah, that could be an ear of the final game because you have, say Liverpool, say Liverpool win the league. And the Champions League, they would have two leagues to Peps three. Three? Well, three when Liverpool were being competitive, right? Obviously, it was four. It was four leagues. Actually, was it? No, it's three leagues. Wait, how many leagues have City won? They won the Centurion, the one point, and last year. I'm pretty sure. Because it was... Yeah, it was. Because it was Chelsea's Mourinho, it was it was Mourinho's Chelsea, Leicester, Conte's Chelsea, City... Conte Chelsea and then Sari came in, we made the Europa League final. Liverpool, yeah, and then City again. Yeah, yeah. So City would have won three leagues, and Liverpool would have won two, and Liverpool would have won two Champions Leagues. I mean, it's something, it's a really good discussion, isn't it? A really good discussion because it's. This thing of what do you value more? Do you value the the league? Obviously, you value the league, right? Yeah, so City won three leagues under Pep. Liverpool won one leg under under Klopp. Liverpool winner this year, they've won two. So it's 3-2 and then two Champions Leagues. Yeah, I mean, overall, in major trophies, Liverpool are ahead. I wanna say that. I wanna say that Champions League final. I wanna say the Champions League final on the condition of Liverpool in the league. Because that will be that will probably be the biggest game in English football history. Cause it's a it's an era defining game. It's that game determines the best team of the era. Which for me is gonna be a discussion point that will live long, long in the memory of, of English football fans and just football fans in general. But Moving on to not moving on, but I, w- I wanted to st- I wanted to ask two questions or or yeah two questions I think is the best way to describe it. How Liverpool can win the league now? Liverpool win the league if they just keep going, and it's something really easy to say, but like I I genuinely think Anfield has a lot to do with this and the noise and just the energy that that ground creates. I don't believe in the myth, personally. I do think it's pretty good atmosphere, but granted, I've never been, so I cannot describe it. I cannot say. But Liverpool will win the league if Anfield and those fans just keep going and going and going and the hope doesn't wane. Like, or Wayne even. All they need is hope and belief, and they'll win it. Because they're just so good. And if you want to speak about a player perspective... I think Liverpool can win the league if they unlock Thiago. I think Thiago has the potential to be the best midfielder in the league. He's just so good at pretty much everything. His passing is up there with the best in the world. And his football IQ is out of this world. Like It is seriously extraordinary. And if Liverpool can find a way to get the best out of Thiago, if you have Thiago feeding in Luis Diaz, Diogo Jota, Sadio Mane, uh, Mohamed Salah, That's a scary proposition because you have those two workhorses either side of him. It's Fabinho, Henderson or whoever it may be. If you can unlock the creative talents of Thiago, Liverpool will win the league. Whereas City, I think City need to score goals. I think City will win the league if they find a way to score goals. And that's something really weird to say but they just struggle to score in the clutch moments whether that's because i don't have a recognized number 9 whatever but they need to find a way to play a direct game of football because teams like palace and southampton had southampton had found a blueprint to lock that system down lock those lock down those third man runs lock down these intricate plays if they need they need to find a, a way to play a little bit more direct a little bit more long ballish and they will find a way to score more goals Or win more games So City will win the league If they find a way to score more goals Something really simple to say But I don't think it's that simple to fix Because this intricate way These third man runs Aren't scoring goals in the clutch moments You saw Southampton locked it down Crystal Palace locked it down twice Whether it's because I don't have a striker I don't know But if City figure out a way to score In a more direct manner They'll win the league ...whether or not Pep can do it... ...it's up to him, I mean... ...I play football manager, so... ...I mean, I'd like to think I know, but... ...but... ...granted, I did take Leighton Orient... ...from the conference to... ...Champions League... ...multiple-time Champions League... ...multiple-time league, undefeated... ...I actually won the... ...I actually won the... ...what's it, like the Pentagon... ...not not that, but I won five trophies in one year... ...with Leighton Orient... ...FM19... ...glorious... Glory season, anyway. Um. So yeah, moving on from the league, from the league shen- shenanigans, shindig. S- speaking, speaking about the league, let's we've done that. So f- yeah, let's forget about that. Um. I just want to give myself massive props for predicting Villarreal to go through. I think if you go back to the last last episode, I said Villarreal will go through, and I said Juventus are the most upsettable team. So. I mean, like, respect. That's what I'm going to say. Like, as Jose would be, respect. Um, no, but I think Villarreal will be a dark horse. I actually don't know who they've got in the in the next round. But, yeah, I, I really like they're just so well coached. They're so well drilled in their system. And Unai Emery perfectly suits that that team. Granted they've got by Munich next round so I don't think they'll win, but I think they'll give them a good game because yeah, I really like them. Um and then I'll put it down here is Jesse Marsh the saviour? I don't think he is, to be honest. Um they played well against Wolves. Granted they only won because they went down because wolves went down to ten and they didn't really create a whole lot when it was eleven vs eleven. But you can't really You can't really fault them for that because they had to play with balls in front of them and they won well not really convincingly but they won and Luke Ayling scored in the 92nd minute so I'm not sure there could have been a more popular goal scorer um I think they'll stay up I think it's Burnley Watford Norwich are down I think Newcastle are well safe Brentford I think are well safe and it's evidently to just have that they have that dog in them Granted I think Burnley do as well to be honest I just think it's one too many seasons for Burnley, that it, like it's just been one too many scraping by the skin of their teeth. You saw it with Sunderland not long ago, who kept just kept staying up somehow, they just kept staying up, kept staying up, and I don't think it will last for Burnley. I think this is the season which sees their downfall, but... Still, I think they've still got a couple of games in hand. So they're still, it's not over yet. It's not over just yet. Um. So now, obviously, Foucault, oh, I said, I've just spoiled what I was going to say, Foucault tomorrow. But what I was going to say is, obviously, international break coming up. So I want to speak about two squads in particular. I want to speak about the England squad. And I want to speak about why is Foucault tomorrow not in England squad? It is seriously a joke. Like, it is. It's borderline Premier League bias at this stage. Because how can Tyro Mings, how can Harry Maguire get into that squad? And, and for Kao Tomori, not. Because he, he starts, for me, in an England 11. Because he encapsulates everything that England need in a the centre-half. They need someone who's a little bit more dynamic, a little bit quicker. Maybe a little bit more eccentric in the way he plays, but he just provides that difference and he can play either fullback as well which helps and he's versatile can play in a three can play in a two and any you can literally put anyone next to him you can put john stones next to him you can put someone like a dan burn next to him i'm not saying him exactly but you can put dan burn next to him you can put harry Maguire next to him and he'll make harry Maguire look like a competent center back because he just has that raw ability and that raw physicality which can make up for players weaknesses like I don't understand why Fakarta Moore is not an England team that is one one of Gareth Southgate's biggest missteps as a England coach not shoving him into the first team and giving him the minutes that he deserves because he's been ripping it apart for AC Milan he's exactly what England need in a centre-back and he fixes pretty much most of their defensive problems in terms of the way England are hurt is through pace Whenever teams hit them with pace and quickly on the counter, that's when they struggle. For Tomori can eradicate any counter attack like that because he's so quick and he's so dynamic. He's so strong. He's tall as well. So why, Gareth, why Gareth Southgate hasn't got put him in and why he persists with someone like Harry Maguire is beyond me. But I like Gareth Southgate, but he needs to fix that in the next in the next squad selection because. Kai should start for England at the World Cup, in my opinion. He's just so good. Like I don't get it, but again, what do I know? Seriously, but like it, I, I'm, I'm genuinely like flabbergasted at this stage because I don't see why he doesn't play. Like I don't see why he doesn't play. I don't see, I don't see anything that can potentially hinder him. I don't see anything that says that like he's got a major weakness. Like I'm just bringing up the squad now, because I don't, like, I don't actually know who, don't know, I actually don't know who's in it. But I'm near certain that, and I know it's friendly. I know it's a friendly. I know it's a friendly. But like Connor Cody's in there, Tyro Mings is in there. With all due respect, why isn't Fakai Tomori in there? Like I know it's friendlies, but hey, you can't. Friendly set a precedent, or well, don't set a precedent, but you need friendly. Like friends are so important of like, just building cohesion and building, just like familiarity. Like I know Fakaya has good familiarity with Mount. I think he played in the academy with Rice as well, obviously with Rhys James. But yeah, it's try. I'm trying not to be biased with well, from a Chelsea perspective, but I just don't understand why he's not playing. Um, and now moving on to the Socceroos squad to versus Japan. And it's been a squad absolutely tormented with just last minute changes and whatnot. I'll preview the Japan game in a bit, but I just want to go through the squad. So Craig Goodwin was in the squad. He's now out. Jackson Irvine was in the squad, he's now out. And also, I think a couple of other players were in the squad as well who are now not playing. But this has now brought in Ben Falami, who's making his Socceroos squad debut. And um, obviously Kenny Dougal, who plays for Blackpool. So And he scored in the player final last year, so he's got something about him. But this means the squad is... Nathaniel Atkinson, Aziz Bache, Martin Boyle, D'Agostino, Milos Degenek, Kenny Dougal, Mitchell Duke, Ben Falami, Bruno Fornaroli, Dennis Janaru, Ryan Grant, Adjan Hirstic, Jimmy Jago, or Jamie Jago, Frank Kragic, Joel King, Leckie, Awa Mobile, Jamie McLaren, um, Connor McCarth, Andrew Redmayne, Tom Rogic, who I think got injured as well, playing for Celtic, I know he got subbed off. So I don't know if he's playing, but Kyle Rouse, Matthew Ryan, Trent Sainsbury, Janis Sten- Stesnes, Janis Stesnes, uh, Marco Tilio, and Danny Vukovic. Um, that's a squad to face Japan. I'm so worried. <laughs> like I'm so personally, it, for me, Jackson Irvine was so important to that system. That and I would have started him in a heartbeat because he's been playing so well in Germany. But what what you have to take into consideration you'd think the front three doesn't ride itself, but you think it's some like some mixture of um, Fornaroli, McLaren, Mobil, um, Leckie maybe or um, Boyle who, for me, are all capable of performing well. And I want to speak up with Fauna quickly before I move on. People are so upset about Fauna Now, for those who don't know, Fauna Roldi was was from Uruguay, didn't get capped, has been in Australia for fucking 150 years, it seems like, and has now been given citizenship, thus makes him eligible for Socceroos. I don't see anything wrong with that, with him playing. A lot of people are upset by it. I don't. It's for it's for two games, which an, which are absolutely must win against Saudi Arabia and against Japan. Get the best players in the team for me. I think Fonaroli will come in have an impact. Whether he, whether he goes to the World Cup if we get there is a difference is a different talking point. But for now, I think it's a perfectly good selection, and I think he's. I don't know if he starts yet, but he if he doesn't start, he'll come off the bench and make an instant impact. So I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, obviously, you have the victory boys, Falami and D'Agostino, who are well, well-earned um, call-ups to the team. Because, like, Falami, through extenuating circumstances, D'Agostino, through, like, he just earned it. Like, he played very, very well. Um, or he's played very, very well for victory so far, so I don't see anything wrong with that. But that midfield really worries me. I think... I think you have to play... Herstich, Jago, and Genro. I think I think that's what I'd play, but you can't drop Rogich, can you? It's really difficult. It's really difficult. And to be honest, with Aaron Moy not in the squad, it actually helps because that's just another head, a selection headache. Obviously, Aaron Moy out through. I'm pretty sure it's COVID, um, or injury, and. That midfield man, that's that is the missing piece because the defense writes itself to an extent, and so is the attacking attacking three for we play four three three, or some variation of that. I don't think they're the worries. It's that midfield and it's that connection and that energy because arguably probably our three most talented players in the not in the squad but in the country Moy, Rogi, Cherstic, You cannot play those three. It just does not work. You need an engine. For me, that engine is Jackson Irvine, but you can't win them all. I mean, like it's very unfortunate that he's gone out in the way that he has. I genuinely think it's. Oh, but Rogic has been playing so well. Is he injured? I just want to quickly say, I probably should research this, but if he's injured, then Rogic in doubt as soccer's available availability crisis or worsens um so he's oh, okay so he's so he's in doubt so let's just assume that he doesn't play in the Japan game and he plays a game against Saudi, game against Saudi Arabia for a game that is absolutely must win I think he go with herstich Jago Nijenru. I think he played that, and then but then again, Dougal played well. Dougal's been playing well. Fucking stuff. And obviously, no Graham Arnold. he. Is a, he is in self isolation, so he will miss the Japan game. I'm pretty sure. Jeez, you don't want this. You don't want this. This uncertainty and these, like unavailabilities, coming off or coming into an absolute must-win game. And I think in this beautiful segue to me analysing the game itself. So the Socceroos, without a shadow of a doubt, and without... I don't even know that didn't even make sense. But basically, the Socceroos must win this game against Japan. It is... We, ha- we have to take six points off Japan and Saudi Arabia. Granted, Japan's here, which is good because we don't have a good record going over there. But then again, you don't want to go to Saudi Arabia. You don't want to go to the Middle East, especially... In midweek, I'm pretty sure the game's in midweek. It's like I'd rather have that game second, which is good because I wouldn't want to travel and then come back. So I'd rather have that game um, second. And in the first leg, I think Saudi Arabia were missing a lot of players, but we dominated them and we probably should have won. So, I mean, we'll preview the game against Japan. I like. It's from like we struggled against Japan last time and we got bailed out by a herstitch goal, free kick, which then got cancelled out by a, I think it was a deflection or it was like a very like scrappy goal to concede. I'm just really cautious about this game and I'm really scared because if we lose we have to go through qualifying, which means I'm pretty sure we verse the, at this stage we verse the UAE, I'm pretty sure, in a one-legged game, and then we verse, I think at this stage it's Uruguay, so, like, fuck me, like, like, why can't this country just do things the easy way, we, we're in pole position, we got one point off we, I think we won our first two games. Sweet. We drew to Saudi Arabia. I'm pretty sure that happened first. We like Sweet. Get a point against Japan. And and we're... Mate. Oh, we're, 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 we're rosy. Like, we're going to go through no problems. We, we lose against Japan. Okay, fuck. Not... Not the best, right? <laughs> like, to, to put it lightly, not the best. I just want to see what our fixtures were. Because I don't actually know. But... Like, we were in such a good position. Like, such a good position. But, yeah. So, we we beat China, Vietnam, Oman. Sweet. Like, we beat them all pretty comfortably as well. Unreal. We lost to Japan. Alright, not the best result. But, we get a point against Saudi Arabia. Could be worse. Could be worse. Then we go to China and we draw. Then we... Go to... We beat Vietnam and then we go to Oman and draw again. It's just... It's just like... Fuck me, man. Like... I just don't get it. Like, I just don't get it. Why can't this country do anything easy? If I had to give a prediction... I don't think we'll win. I just don't have that confidence in this team anymore. If you were to ask me this question... If, if you were to ask for my prediction before the first tie or before the f- reverse fixture, I would have said, oh, we'd win 2-0 easy because I had confidence. Now, now I'm devoid of all confidence. I feel like the Australian public is devoid of all confidence. And it's just... And I think this, the team is just devoid of all confidence as well. I just don't have that faith in this team anymore, to be honest. and it's really annoying. Because we're gonna go through qualifying again and we're gonna verse Uruguay and Uruguay not Honduras. Let's not forget that. We granted we got through last World Cup, we went through qualifying. We nearly got knocked out by Syria. Let's not forget that. Right? Like Omar Al-Soma was literally centimetres away from knocking us out. And then we drew to Honduras over there, we came back they came back here and we won. Thanks to three Set pieces. Like we're gonna lose, man. Like I, I really didn't want to say that, but I just have no faith in this team anymore. I just have no faith. I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. But we're. I think we're gonna lose. If we don't. If we, If we manage to win. If we manage to scrape three points, we go to Saudi Arabia fighting for our lives, I think we'll win that. But, if I were to give a prediction, I'd say 2-0 Japan. I just don't have confidence. I just don't have confidence. And I really hope I'm wrong. Really, really hope I'm wrong. The first time in my life I'd want to be wrong. But, I just don't think we'll do it. I just don't think we'll do it. It's frustrating. But that's, for me, what the truth is. Um, yeah, so let's move on to something lighter because that's going to make me depressive if I keep speaking about it. Um, we've now got to the only segment on this podcast who went in two-footed. Uh, for those who don't know, basically this segment is where I dissect, dissect, I basically just say something that happened throughout the week by a player, organisation, a team, a fan, a manager, coach, whatever it is, who did something daft, who did something dumb, who did something really stupid. And like I said from the top, I didn't have anything written down on the run sheet for this, and I still haven't thought of one. So we're just gonna go with um, we're gonna go with the cable tire guy because I literally can't think of one because nothing else happened that dumb from what I can remember. Yeah, so we'll go with the table cable tire guy who now instead of being known for his protest, he's now known for being a fuckhead. Um, no that's a bit harsh. He's known for being not well in the head. Um, yeah, so who went into footed the cable tire guy? At least at least you're like known for something else now. You're known for the guy that went that went in two footed for episode twelve of the two footed type podcast. Um, and we're gonna preview the week as well. Um, obviously, international breaks, so there might be something special coming in for next episode. We'll have to wait and see for that. Um, it's I'm thinking about something, so hopefully that can happen. But, yeah, there's obviously some A-League midweek. Um, obviously, surely Japan happening, and more international breaks. And then we'll meet again on Monday the 28th, where we will preview this Saudi Arabia-Australia game on Wednesday. And then that weekend, the prem's back, and football is back normally, which is good. Um, but until then, I hope you stay well, stay safe. I hope the weeks football treats you well. Um, again, be sure to like like the podcast on on Spotify. On sorry, on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow on um, follow on. All the, all the good stuff. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, at Two Foot Attack Podcast. And then, yeah, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, the whole nine yards. Stay well, stay safe. Thank you all very much for watching. See you guys. Bye.